Nancy Wyman, state Democratic chairwoman. Nancy, thanks so much for being here. And with us today is Nancy Wyman. This is the Donkey Talk Podcast with your host, Connecticut Democratic Party chairwoman, Nancy Wyman. Hi, everybody. It's Nancy Wyman again, and I'm so glad that we're back together with a new and wonderful woman that is a true leader in our state, a state senator, May Flexa. And May is a senator, but she started in the House in 2008. And I will just tell you that she is the youngest female state senator. I am, sadly. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yes. And, and she's from Killingly. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask May to talk a little bit about her own background, uh, her parents, and, uh, and where she was brought up and how you got involved. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. It's exciting to be here talking with you today. Um, so I actually got involved in politics when I was a high school student in Killingly. Um, there was a budget battle that year, like there are in so many towns, including your hometown <laughs> of Tallinn from time to time, um, where there was a proposal that cut sports and foreign language and music. And uh, unfortunately, um, that was going to happen in Killingly. And so uh, a bunch of us high school students got together and went to the town meeting where the budget was going to be set. And we asked people who were going to the town meeting to vote on the budget to consider us that evening and that the sports and foreign language and music programs were important to us. And I walked up to two gentlemen and I handed them a flyer and I said just that. And they turned to me and said, you kids are wasting your time. You have no say in what's going to happen here this evening. Ugh. And I was shocked that two adults would speak to me that way. But then I went into the meeting and it turned out they weren't just two adults, but they were two members of the town council. And a year later, one of them ran for the state Senate against then Senator Don Williams. Oh. And so I called up Don Williams and said, how can I help you? Because there was no way I was going to let someone who didn't think kids should have a say in our town get a promotion. That's great. And, you know, that's, that's exciting because you're young. You were ready to get out there, and uh, and you know what? That's what we're trying to get uh, young people to know, understand now. Absolutely, is that voices need to be heard. And young people are doing that so well today. It it's so, so exciting. It they exciting. are changing things everywhere, and I think it's incumbent on all of us who are older than them to listen to them Absolutely. and to to do to follow their lead and and bring them in. Absolutely. You know? I always said uh, you know we should bring as a woman you know, if you made yourself available and you could get to a boardroom uh with a, in a chair then make sure you bring another chair along that's right and now we make sure we bring young people along that's right and we in the party are doing that now we're asking our state central committee people to bring young people to our meetings so they understand what we do as a state central committee person but you know i i just want to uh for the, those of you that don't know um, i had the good fortune of knowing may's parents and uh, her, his, her mom's wonderful, and her dad is really one of the heroes. He's he's a Vietnam veteran who happens to be disabled now, but somebody that has fought for his country, just like his daughter is fought, fighting for our state right now. So I, I just want to mention that to, about her background because uh, she's coming from a family of Irish immigrants, but uh, a true family that really cares about giving. And it doesn't always have to be a Democrat. <laughs> That's it can be right. a Republican too. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Nancy. Yeah, my parents are amazing, and they um, are not necessarily Democrats. My dad is a registered Republican, um, but you know, even though they weren't um, especially political 
when I was growing up. They were um, very much um, committed to knowing what was going on in their community and they always um, voted, but they were also really committed to giving back and they set a really great example for my sister and I. And And while my dad sometimes jokes, where did he go wrong by raising two Democrats? Um, I know that um, he and my mom are the reason why we both uh, continue to serve and I also, our community. And I also know that your dad is very, very, very Supportive of you and very, very proud of you. Yeah. We've had the discussions about it, even though you might be a Democrat. <laughs> it was okay. So, you know, you, uh, you, you come into the legislature, and one of your top um, subjects that you've been talking about is domestic violence and sexual assault and sexual harassment. And I know when I was in the legislature, we passed some good, we thought, good laws. But this year, you've come out and really changed some of those laws and I think made them much better than they were first written. I thought this would be a great time if you want to just kind of talk about the changes that were made this year that really are going to help people? Sure. Well, I'm really um, overall proud of the work that we've been able to do to to combat domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment in our state. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention what a leader you were a few years ago as lieutenant governor when we were working to make sure that firearms were no longer in the hands of domestic abusers at the moment uh, when victims of domestic violence abusers are the most vulnerable. You stepped up and made sure that in our state uh, those uh, victims of domestic violence were protected and I'll always be grateful to you no, for your tremendous leadership it, on it that. Was, it was a team that did it. It was it's a team. never an I. There's no such, there's no letter I in team and um, you can't get things done unless you do work as a team. I know. And you are always an amazing team leader because you have that that mentality. Um, but th- th- this year, um, uh, starting on October 1st, I'm really proud that the Times Up Act is now the law of the land in the state of Connecticut. And it does a number of really important things. Uh, it make sure that Connecticut has some of the strongest laws with regard to sexual harassment in the country. It ensures that in every workplace in our state where there are more than two people that work there, that uh, all of the employees have to be trained. The previous law was only for larger employers and only for people who are in supervisory roles. This new law makes sure that everyone has access to training um, so that all workers know what their rights are if they're experiencing sexual harassment so that they can recognize sexual harassment for what it is. This is particularly important for younger women. Um, Last week, I got to stand with two young women who are bravely um, coming forward and talking about the story of uh, the harassment they experienced in the workplace. And, and if more young women knew exactly what sexual harassment was when they started working, they might be able to, to come forward uh, sooner. And so I'm pleased that now every employee in Connecticut will be trained on sexual harassment. It will also empower people who are bystanders to this harassment to know what to do, to step forward, to stand with the people who are being harassed, and to go to the bosses and say, this isn't okay and this has got to stop. Um, it also gives uh, better avenues for those workers to come forward if they experience harassment. It gives them a, a slightly more time uh, to work with our Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities should they choose to move forward and, and, and file a complaint. Um, and the other key component of the law is it expands our state's statutes of limitations with regard to sexual assault crimes. Um, and as as we know, um, 
people who experience sexual assault are much less likely to, to come forward initially when they are the victim of that type of crime. And there are a variety of reasons for that. And a lot of it has to do with the, the shame that these victims often feel. And, and part of that is because of the way our society has talked about these crimes for far too long. But thankfully, that's changing. But we want to make sure that we recognize the unique circumstances around sexual assault and ensure that our criminal justice system is giving uh, these survivors uh, all of the time that they need to be able to come forward to, to get the counseling that they need and to determine um, on their own timetable when they're ready to come forward and, and ask uh, for, for justice to be found for them in our criminal court system. And you know, nowadays we're hearing that this is, this is male and female. That's right. And people have to understand that and by what you've done is many of the times it's done to young people that will not come out and do not know what to say or how to say it by giving them more time when they can realize who they are and what's really going on in their lives, they can then come out and really explain what's happening and who committed some of these crimes so that it can be stopped. That's exactly right. But in the meantime, it's really to get them back onto a a path of a normal type of life again. Mm -hmm. Me never forgetting, but realizing it's not them. That's right. It's, it, it's the people around them that didn't stand up and really go and protect them uh, or know about it, uh, allowing them to speak out. And so that's absolutely right. And and it's important to remember that um, you know crimes like domestic violence and sexual assault are unique in in the way that our society has talked about these things in the past. And there are a few other crimes I can think of where. Um, someone blames the victim and questions the circumstances. You know, if you if you were walking down the street and someone stole your wallet or your purse, someone doesn't ask you questions about why were you on that street or what were you wearing when the person stole your wallet. Um, and so that's part of uh, what's changing, and I'm grateful for that, but it's also important that our laws be as strong as possible to empower uh, these victims to come forward. Yeah, and you've done so much you know, for advocating and securing you know, resources to improve Connecticut's response to domestic violence, the 24-7 staffing at domestic violence shelters, uh, establishing what is a GPS program. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, those couple of things were among the first things um, we were able to do around domestic violence. When I was first elected to the House of Representatives, then Speaker Donovan established a task force uh, on domestic violence. And we looked at um, our state's domestic violence laws in a comprehensive way. And and as you mentioned, uh, Connecticut was a leader in creating domestic violence laws uh, in the late 1980s, early 1990s. But those laws hadn't necessarily been looked at in a thorough way since that period of time. And so that's how we were able to move forward with some of these new initiatives, which actually aren't so new anymore. They're getting close to, to 10 years old, I'm proud to say, um, with the 24-7 staffing and the and the GPS monitoring. You know, I frequently um, talked to, uh, to victims who are protected by GPS monitoring for their offenders. So that's been a really good thing. And, and the staffing levels has been really important at our domestic violence shelters, but we still have work to do. Our domestic violence shelters in Connecticut are often at 120% capacity. Wow. That means each and every day, uh, shelters 
um, the great people who work in our domestic violence programs all throughout the state are juggling much more demand than they have the capacity for. And um, that's something where I think we can do better. You know, I'm pleased that we now have the 24-7 staffing, but we've got to uh, invest some more resources to support our domestic violence programs so that those uh, people who are doing that work day in and day out and those victims who are seeking that security of a shelter can know that they will quickly have a place to stay for themselves and their families. Yeah, and that's a big point of it too, that it's not just the one individual that goes to these places. It's the families, the kids that end up going with the person. That's right. And so when we have it full to capacity, we just, we've got to make sure we're taking care of the kids in the proper way also. That's exactly you right. Know, it's really good. So new thing happened the other day and uh, at UConn, yes. your place. And yes. uh, I thought I'd let you talk about the new announcement of our new UConn president. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, the University of Connecticut is uh, in our Senate district, in the Senate district that I'm privileged to uh, represent, and I am a proud UConn graduate. So I was very excited the other day to uh, attend the uh, inauguration ceremony for the new UConn president, uh, Tom Katsuleas. And uh, I was especially thrilled uh, with his announcement at his inauguration, which he called his big fat Greek inauguration, which was kind of funny. Um, there was a lot of oh, good jokes goodness. that day, but I the bet. really exciting announcement uh, was the announcement around the, the Connecticut commitment, the Yukon commitment, um, ensuring that kids uh, with a family income of less than $50,000 a year will be able to go to the university for free. And I um, I was incredibly moved by that announcement when, when it was being talked about. I actually had goosebumps sitting there in the Jorgensen uh, Auditorium because, um, you know, when my sister and I went to UConn, my, my family's income was less than $50,000 a year. And I can't tell you what a difference it would have made um, for me and the stress that I was under when I was a UConn student. Um, I worked as many as three jobs when I was a student at UConn and, and the stress that my parents had trying to help my sister pay with her, pay for her um, tuition. If, if our family could have known that um, UConn would have been free, tuition free for us, that would have made a huge difference. And I'm so grateful that UConn is now leading in this arena and ensuring that um, low-income students in our state uh, can go to UConn that's, without that is, worrying about tuition. It is so exciting, you know, for a young student to learn that it hasn't, doesn't need the money, that it is really needs the education. And if we don't have the money, you have the availability of going to a great university. And UConn is a great university. And, you know, I, I live one town over, so um, UConn is like home to me. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing the way it's changed over the years of how it's built and built up. And what an experience uh, some young person can have now um, by what the, what the president has recommended. $50,000 a year of family income is not a lot of money, mm -hmm. especially when you're talking about a family of four or you know, a single parent with two kids, mm -hmm. um, that, that is very difficult to live with uh, or send a kid to, to college on. So I'm kind of really excited about this and uh, hopefully we can see this more happening in other schools also. So 
to yeah. make it available for all kids. Yeah, and, I, I'm really excited. And that that in combination with what we were able to do in the legislature this year with the support of Governor Lamont with the debt-free community college proposal, you think about what a difference that's going to make. It's going to open up doors to higher education to students from families that m- maybe they didn't think they could ever afford to go to college or didn't really think college was for them. Perhaps they weren't getting the right encouragement um, at home or the right encouragement at school. Community college being free will open the door for a lot of people who didn't think that door was even there for them. And then to maybe be able to to go on to get this um, education at the University of Connecticut if their family qualifies for that income. I think it's going to be a real game changer. It really is. It really is because there's a lot of kids that don't really know how, to, how they're going to make up their mind. But getting them into community college first and then have the opportunity to go on to the four-year college afterwards, uh, even though you might not be able to afford it. It's fantastic. What a door opening for, and we talk about how important it is for us to keep our kids here in the state. This is the best way we can do them, educate them here, get their education, and make sure we have jobs here so that they can work in the state. And that's what we, what the big goal has been for a lot of people, and we're seeing some really good things happening. So yeah. that's really good. So on the other hand, so what do you do for your living now? <laughs> <laughs> Because you're not making it as a state senator, I know that. Um, but I know, and I, and I, I just think that you, what you've taken on um, uh, is a, a priority that really goes far for all of us. And, and, and uh, let me ask you about Emerge. Sure. So um, I am really lucky to be serving as executive director of Emerge Connecticut. Uh, Emerge Connecticut is part of a national organization, Emerge America. Um, Emerge America recruits, trains, and mentors Democratic women to run and win elected office. Um, And uh, we've been in Connecticut for about almost two years. It'll be two years later this week. Um, And in that time, we've trained almost 50 women uh, to run for office. Um, More than 17 of them have launched campaigns of one type or another. Um, 14 of them currently serve in elected office, and six of them are serving in our state legislature. So right now we're actively recruiting for the class of 2020. We run a approximately five month program uh, that over the course of several Saturdays, um, it's a 70 hour program where we teach you everything there is to know about running for office specifically right here in Connecticut, whether you wanna run for planning and zoning or board of ed or town council or state rep or Congress. Um, If you wanna do it here in Connecticut and you're a democratic woman, We are the program for you. So um, I would encourage listeners to go to EmergeCT.org and find out more about our program. Um, Like I said, we're recruiting for the class of 2020, and that's open until December 16th of this year. And you can find the link to the application right on our website, EmergeCT.org, E-M-E-R-G-E-C-T.O-R-G. Thank you. Good tip. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Emerge um, has... In addition to being in Connecticut, we're in 26 states. Um, There are more than 4,000 Emerge alums all across the country, uh, including four of whom serve now as members of Congress. And hopefully one day in Connecticut, we'll have our own Emerge Connecticut alum who is uh, a member of our congressional delegation. I'm very, very glad that uh, my state rep is an alum. Yes. Pat Wilson Phineas is an alum. Um, And she she did a great job in running for office and now serving in office. And uh, um, she had her, 
hurdles to jump over, mm-hmm. but I think because of what she learned through Emerge, she knew how to keep her cool, knew how to get out there and work, really work her tail off to get to the to, to winning, and uh, um, and she's doing a fantastic job as a, a state rep now. So I. Thank you for that training. Well, she had all the skills. <laughs> Representative Wilson Phineas um, is an incredible asset to the state legislature and to the people of of her her My state district. rep district. Yeah. And so um, it was it was a pleasure to be able to work with her during our emerge program. And um, she you know that the, she's the uh, I was the last woman in that seat as state rep. And then men took it over. So it's nice to see it back in women's hands again. It is. <laughs> and I do have to point out that I'm pretty sure that Representative Wilson Phineas is the first black woman yes. to represent a non-urban district in the state of Connecticut. And Absolutely. and we're really proud of that. And that's another core value of of Emerge Connecticut and Emerge America. Uh, we don't just want to elect more Democratic women, but we want to make sure that we're building a pipeline of diversity in Connecticut. And we're particularly focused on helping to elect more black and brown women uh, all throughout our state, because as you and I know, um, our leadership roles, whether it's within our towns or in the state legislature, um, do not reflect the great diversity of our state. And black and brown women are the heart of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do with Emerge is, is make sure that more of them are able to step up to these elected positions and and run successfully uh, and and hold the the positions to have that seat at the table that they deserve. Yeah, and that's why we can never say never. Right. Right. And even though that when when Pat started to run, everybody thought it couldn't happen. Yes, it can. Yep. Yes, absolutely. it can. It really is a. Is that, then I'm going to throw a, a strange question to you. Um, uh, two strange questions. First is. Uh, what do you see for next session? Oh, next session. Well, um, it's a short you know, session. It's hard to think about that. It is a short session. I always tell people, though, the great thing about a short session is that we have this time right now uh, during the fall and, and, and the early winter to really do our research on issues and be able to hit the ground running when the legislature comes back. So while there is a condensed period of time, it's also right now is a good time for coalition building and, and doing your research so that the issues that you want to work on, you can do well. Um, one of the things I'm hoping to accomplish um, next session is uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm disappointed wasn't in the Times Up Act this year was uh, any sort of recourse for people who want to seek uh, a civil solution to their um, sexual assault, and particularly around various institutions that may have been a party to covering up a pattern of sexual abuse that, that happened in many institutions in our state. We've seen other um, states have, have look, cha- looked at their laws and made some changes, and I'm hopeful that Connecticut will, will choose to do that next year to stand uh, with sexual abuse survivors and, and give them that opportunity like they've had in so many other states. Um, I'm also hopeful we're going to do some better work around pay equity next year. We have a decent pay equity law, but I think there are some things we can do to strengthen it. And I'm also... Um, want to be very carefully watching what's happening with the implementation of the paid family and medical leave program. I'm thrilled uh, that the legislature was able to introduce uh, and pass uh, that bill finally this year after many, many years. And I'm grateful uh, that Governor Lamont was such a strong supporter of that when he was campaigning for governor and and ultimately um, signed the bill. And I'm I'm hopeful that um, we're going to have a really good program that's accessible for everyone in our state. That's great. You know, you'd think you look at that and you think about what you can do and and what you have done 
And you have done a lot these last years, and I thank you very much. So here's the strange question. I always ask this to everybody. Um, you know, I, there's words to live by. So for me, it's always been my word was my bond. So if I could ask you, what do you think the words to live by is for you right now? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I will say that um, when I, you know, when I was in high school, oftentimes they make you choose a quote for your yearbook. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I often reflect on the quote that I had. And at the time, uh, people chuckled at the quote. But I think I don't always use this in every interaction I have in life because sometimes it's a little difficult. But I think in general, it has been something that I do live by, which is a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. That's in this true. business, sometimes you have to tell people things they don't want to hear. But if you can add a touch of kindness to it, it often helps ease the conversation. And that's why you're so, success so successful. I apologize. And uh, I just want to thank you for coming on, May, and all the work that you've done. Uh, Senator Flexa, you, you really are a shining light. And, um, and I know that you're going to go as far as you want to go. And just keep up the great work you're doing. So uh, it's time is coming to the end. So I have to make this announcement. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere else you get podcasts. If you've enjoyed the episode, remember to subscribe. Thank you all very, very much. Please stay involved. Let your voices be heard.